daylight come and we want to go home. So here we are with another cult movie and TV persona. That is Mr. David Caruso. And joining me again is John Mark. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Yeah. Time, I know. A pretty quick and easy to navigate uh, resume. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are with, yes, David Caruso, who was once summed up by producer Stephen Bochco as absolute cancer. <laughs> <laughs> we, this is why we do this. This is fun to just talk about a celebrity who basically just is easy to sum up on their artistic merit versus their off-screen persona and it's like it's a kind of a similar thing and I've, I've seen him kind of likened to the likes of Bill Shatner and all these other just tv personas who thought they were bigger than life <laughs> and they backfired with him <laughs> you're right <laughs> it's an interesting reversal because usually you know they do all those stupid drive-in movies or just direct a video of nonsense and then come back with a big movie or TV thing. And here, he he starts out small, failed to go big, and then went back small. But that was for the better because he was on a really big show. So it's just like, yeah. interesting. <laughs> it's always been made the subject. And I mean, we were talking about Charles Bronson and how kind of, other than The Simpsons, no one really wants to make fun of him because they just see nothing against the guy. He's kind of earning his keep in here. He's just kind of a guy who he's just too boring for anyone to want to talk about unless they're asking about the next season of whatever show he's on. <laughs> That's true. Oh, so when did you first come upon Mr. Caruso? Well, I'm gonna be obvious is NYPD Blue and producing to him. Pretty much. I, I always knew he was a thing and I always knew about that show and I would always encounter parts of it back on when Court TV before it was true TV would show reruns and completely uncut. I'm like, whoa, hey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a very gritty show. Um it's interesting though how it's like he's in a hippie movie, then he's in a pre-predator type you know horror movie and then he's in pretty much the rest of his career also just playing just random like customer service guys crooks or you know even just straightforward detective and military guys so it's it's just an interesting how there's not much stretching him and yet it seems like he's pretty reliable. And I think one of my pals, Nate said it best where he's like, he's a pretty reliable actor who essentially has zero charisma. And yet that's okay. Cause that's pretty much what's needed for his roles. <laughs> that's basically what I've said about him over the years. Uh, yeah. I, and he's just an unusual actor to just take off with a major show and then go through hell and yet everyone has seen all of his various kinds of movies and yet at the same time then his other show is big and at that point he's either liked or 
kind of becoming a joke, but it's interesting how he finds a way to stay relevant. <laughs> so those of you might know him as the officer topper who almost drowns an officer and a gentleman. And that was the same year he's one of the crooked deputies in the first Rambo movie. And that was definitely the first movie I saw all the way through that had him in it. And yeah. Officer and a gentleman. I mean, what can we say? Louis Gossett is good, but the movie is just total soap. <laughs> it really is. And much like most actors whose work I came to become acknowledged through in college in the 2000s and early 2010s, there's this site called Rapid Share and Mr. Caruso eventually saw a bunch of his movies that were on there that weren't easy to acquire. And Thief of Hearts was one of them. There, he just played a, a traitorous criminal trying to take on Stephen Bauer. And so there's the Jerry Bruckheimer connection. So it's an easygoing, easy to predict crime thriller that doesn't really break any ground. And he follows it up with a brief role in Blue City, which was written by Walter Hill and was known for being a pretty infamous movie that year. It's It's okay. It's really and unremarkable on the run. It's pretty much Walter Hill's lesser moments of uh, the getaway, basically, <laughs> with the Breakfast Club actors in it. But yeah, uh, it was just interesting how Caruso's in it at the beginning, robbery, and you think he's going to be the main star, and he gets gun blasted. So I was just like, it was interesting how he was taking all these kinds of roles, and he a lot of them weren't really necessarily even the star of the movie. Um, he follows it up with a key yet smaller role in Abel Ferreira's China Girl, which is an interesting gang warfare movie with Shakespeare connections. You know, basically, you know, a Chinese girl falls in love with an Italian teen, but it's pretty good for what it is. And then he follows it up with an amusing role in Twins as the clerk. And I knew many people who hadn't seen his shows, but they knew him from this in Hudson Hawk. And I thought that was funny. <laughs> it's because I totally forgot he was in Twins until we watched it just a couple months it's ago. It's such a brief role. So I'm like, that. It must they must have just seen it a lot for them to just recognize him. Yeah. I mean, so it's fairly interesting. In all fairness. That. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's so many people in it, but I mean... In all honesty, I just only remembered <laughs> the two leads and Kelly Preston. I didn't remember <laughs> all the rest. Um, and so then he reunites with Abel Ferrer once again as Wesley Snipes' partner who tries to avenge him in King of New York. It's kind of funny how, spoiler, he's kind of a meme from that movie because he's in the finale where he gets gun blasted to the face by... Christopher Walken shotgun. So yeah. <laughs> it's just so funny uh, how uh, just again, it, it's just all of these atypical, very hard boiled, violent movies, and he's in them. And he's doing these all around the same time he's doing guest spots. And, you know, he's very amusing in the trashy show that is tj hooker as a teenager just setting car bombs but i mean it's been on a bunch of other just he's in this one olympic miniseries and 
but yeah, I think I mainly have seen him in Hill Street Blues. He was a Irish gang leader who would speak at city hall protests and is also in like the first two episodes of Crime Story where he's being hunted down by Dennis Farina as a punk who shot his partner. So, um, and then just follows it up again, just more just detective roles. He's, he's Jeff Fahey's partner who gets gunned down in Parker Kang, which was a popular TV movie in its day that it kept getting replayed on CBS. The ratings were that good. And he's in Mission of the Shark as one of the Navy guys who, again, I'm seeing a trend here. He almost gets drowned by one of the evil lieutenants. So he just can't escape it. He's either a cop or a military dude. And He's got plenty of other movies I meant to see that I heard were acclaimed, but I just never saw like Rainbow Drive, Into the Homeland, and Judgment Day, the John List story that often involved cults or true crime. So that's pretty cool. Um, he's in the Elmore Leonard adaptation Gold Coast, which was directed by Peter Weller and starred future CSI star Marge Halgenberger. And that's definitely worth a watch for its moody because you, you literally just feel the temperature just fading off the screen like any good noir should. So, But yeah, let, let's go back here to Hudson Hawk. He apparently for this role as Kit Kat, he had to pretend that his tongue was still separated and he, he was in character that whole movie. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me with him. <laughs> yeah, he's, he seems like he's borderline method, but not really. He's just more to the point. He wants to get it right. He doesn't want to look like a fool. So it's kind of wild because I know many actors who worked with him often said they enjoyed working with him, but other directors and other people would profess a different opinion. So it's just like, it's very odd. It's, is he an actor's actor or is he more, because he's not a director's actor, really? You know? Yeah, you could tell right there. So then he follows it up with that Bill Murray gangster comedy, Mad Dog and Glory, and he's pretty funny, I guess, as the De Niro's cop partner. So he can at least say, hey, I got to work with him and Uma Thurman. (laughs) I haven't seen that one. I've been curious about it, though. He gets an amusing fight scene with Mike Starr, and the whole movie is pretty much Bill Murray's oyster, though. Um, (laughs) And so... Why did he own the role of Detective John Kelly in the first one and a half seasons of NYPD Blue? <laughs> wow, that's one role that they managed to make his character sort of likable, I say sort of, throughout. And he managed to have chemistry with Dennis Farina, like we said. You mean Dennis Franz? <laughs> similar right they're all yeah. cops they all blow together um yeah it, and and I, I see what you mean where this is like pretty much Franz was kind of another one he was always playing the cop but you know this time you know instead of playing a bad cop here he's basically playing just a cop who's you know done shitty things and now has to change his life around after you know nearly meeting his maker nearly you know barely surviving a gunshot wound so it's an interesting way to open it up and I never had an issue with unlike other shows with him doing the partner switcheroo 
Like it just always kind of, I mean, Jimmy Smith was so cool in his own right. And mm -hmm. the other guys did their job and just like, they, they just were such different characters. It's like, it's all good. They're bringing their own deal. And I think it's just because they were so used to working around each other. They were fine with that. I know they did like a reunion for entertainment weekly and, they were talking about how they just missed working with each other and all that. But yeah, I mean, I think this is it. I think he wanted to do the show. It was apparently developed for around him and Caruso uh, at the same time, just he wanted to just use this to launch the next best thing. He did want to be on a marquee. He wanted to be on like a big screen. Yeah. And yet it's just, again, it just wasn't meant to be. He, uh, I, I'm sure you know, I know William Friedkin is one of those. He works with anyone as long as he gets what he wants, which is great performances. And I think they must have been on each other's level. They wanted to outwit each other. I haven't heard anything about the making of Jade, other than that he, apparently the director bitch slapped Angie Everhart for not doing what he asked. So that's kind of fucked up. But, um, and with consists of several rewrites, including yeah you know it's something if the writer of basic instinct is like nah, i'm not following my script at all i find it watchable as a it's kind of his homage freaking's homage to his earlier film harbo movies like cruising and uh french connection but at the same time it's just it was kind of just made in the wrong era and i i think yeah the egos were just so much so much of it was there and there's also just so many moments where you're just like hold on hold on this is way too much to take in in just one scoop <laughs> tell me he survived because like it's a cool car chase and then just the way it ends where it's like you just can't help but unintentionally guffaw he's like whoa whoa okay oh hold on <laughs> how'd you survive that car wreck <laughs> and i said before with the twist and all which the Make twist is something sense. else because it's just like whoa so why did he want to do that why is, is he he's been hunting all these whores and yet then i mean what's his yeah a little backstory would have been great but it's one of those it's basically it, pr it pretty much became what it was it was a 2 a.m movie and a razzie winner um now you and I are both fans of Kiss of Death. Nowadays, it's still lampooned, and everyone often just remarks, "Oh, Nick Cage is the only good part of it." I, I don't know. I just so I take it back. I think this was actually technically my introduction to Mr. Caruso. It just was on channels like FX and TNT quite a lot, and I, I never found it even all that sleazy. Even with all the strip club moments, it was really just more of a just hard boiled kind of movie where everyone's just you know giving each other just the you know i'm after you i you know <laughs> yeah you're going down and i had sam jackson was in it and it was just i mean don't get me wrong i think the noir film is good in its own right but i mean these are two totally different animals i don't even see any point in comparing oh, yeah. them <laughs> i don't know you could compare them because it's a totally different film. It's totally tragic with that one, and it's more of a just kind of coming to Jesus movie, and this one is more of a just, hey, you know, you took down my family, you've killed, you know, I'm an ex-con going straight, and you've killed a bunch of my other friends and partners in crime, and so 
I got nothing else to do except pretty much just find a way to confess and testify against you, if not confront you. <laughs> and of course, Stanley Tucci is awesome. Um, so yeah, back to back, the Razzies are just loving mocking him. He's pretty much made a joke and I think he's, that's just it. He just can't get over just being so serious unless the role demands that he be funny or a smart ass. So uh, he's already burned the bridge with his hit TV show. It just makes you wish he could have kind of just, I mean, you're kind of glad he didn't stick on that show because eventually no one would have wanted to come to set probably, you know? That's true. <laughs> and last thing you need is a good show that starts great and then goes downhill. And I guess that's just it. He just decided, but at the same time, when you burn that bridge, you know, you're not going to be able to come back to TV and say, hey, can you help? I'm, I messed up. Can you fund my next TV show? But So, yeah, he does two other obscure movies. He does Cold Around the Heart, which is a very weird movie. It's just another, you're not sure if it wants to be Tarantino or just something bigger, but it's an okay movie. I wouldn't put it as a must-see movie, but yeah, it's got one of the Arquettes in it, it's got Kelly Lynch, John Spencer from The Rock and Negotiator, Chris Noth, Tyler Vance, and even Kirk Baltz, you know, the cop who gets his ear taken off in Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> it's a hard-to-describe crime movie. It's just one of those, it's just a bunch of thieves, and they're all very moody, and all being just wronged and it was just one of those that barely even got a dvd release it's just an obscure film that came out of fox and yet it's by future award winner john ridley <laughs> who you know his work includes everything <laughs> third watch and u-turn and even what's the other one it's a big 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 bigger one American Crime, Free Kings, Undercover Rudder, and 12 Years a Slave. So it's like, yeah, he, he's a big-ass deal. And I never had an issue with this, but it's tough to recommend when it just feels way more experimental. Hmm. Kelly Lynch from Roadhouse is really good in it. Stacey Dash is in this before everyone found out she how nutty she was. Um, what? It's not really as Tarantino as the movie that follows next, which is the festival and made for TV slash video, in some cases, movie uh, Body Count. Have you seen this one? Any chance? No, I have not seen it. Well, it's, so cast. it's a pretty cool cast. And as long as you don't expect Forrest Whitaker to make it past the opening credits, but so oh, wow. it was just one of those. It reunites him with Linda Florentino from Jade. She has a brief supporting role in that. And it's an acceptable B uh, crime film. And it's often been compared again to, uh, you know, Reservoir Dogs, because that's essentially what it is. Um, but yeah, apparently, some trivia claimed that. Uh, in the Variety article that it did not test well with test audiences, so it was just re released to TV video markets. I always heard people remarking about it because it just would often pop up on just 
I, I just saw it everywhere. It was like, if it wasn't at a video store, then people that, you know, on Amazon were recommending it. If you like, you know, this cast or this movie, you might like this. And it's pretty competent. Although once again, since it is Tarantino, it is very, you have to overlook the derivativeness before you get to the cool plot twists. And some of them you'll see a mile coming and some of them is like, no, that's pretty cool. I didn't expect that. But yeah, John Leguizamo, Bing Rames, Donnie Wahlberg, and Caruso pretty much just all play art art uh, thieves. And uh, the movie, I think, is just can be commended for at least just the gritty tension and just never having a dull moment. But yeah, after a while, you do kind of they do kind of just stop developing the characters after a while. And you're just like, well, kind of would like a little more. Hmm. But again, <laughs> again, we're genre guys. So we go on just entertainment value. So yes, there's entertainment value while not any real remarkableness to it, but it was worth a watch. We'll return after these messages. Hello and welcome to Culture Shocked, the pop culture podcast brought to you by four aging millennials and our outdated opinions. Join us every Tuesday as we discuss movies, TV, games, and even music, new and old. Dude, what do you think you're doing? Are you seriously trying to record a promo without us right now? Well, uh, yeah. Dude, you can't just do the promo by yourself. Who's going to listen to that? Yeah, and you probably haven't even told them that we're a pop culture podcast where we always agree on everything. Uh, for instance, the Sam Raimi trilogy easily being the best of the Spider-Man movies. J no, no. But I think we can all agree that Jaws is a classical masterpiece. Mm, nope, don't like that. But we do all agree that the sequel trilogy of Star Wars is the best in the Skywalker saga, right, guys? That comment is so ridiculous, I don't even know where to... Anyways, uh, that'll do it from all of us here at Culture Shock. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Brent Pope, the host of Breakfast with Brent Pope. You've seen me on some of your favorite TV shows saying things like, give it up, Jimmy. You got to sink this putt to win. On Breakfast with Brent Pope, I sit down with guests from the entertainment world and we do it all over breakfast. Or should I say breakfast? Every week on Breakfast, you get inside Hollywood info and tips, great breakfast wrecks and booty debates. Most of all, you get the most delightful 30 minutes of your week. So dig in. It's breakfast time. Listen at breakfast.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Do you ever find yourself thinking about who would win in a fight between Goku and Superman? Hi, I'm James Gavsey, and on the Who Would Win show, me and my co-host Ray ignore anything important happening in the outside world and debate fictional battles between characters from comics, movies, and video games. We got a new show every week, and almost always am I the winner. Yeah, not true, Ray. In the past, we've discussed such matches as Captain America versus Darth Vader, Solid Snake versus the Iron Giant, classic matchups like RoboCop versus Terminator, and even the Muppets versus Sesame Street. That one was crazy. So if you're a fan of geek culture and love a spirited debate, check out the Who Would Win Show wherever you get your podcasts or check us out at whowouldwinshow.com. We let things pile up in the DVR. We add them to our queues. We wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters podcast sci-fi horror fantasy superheroes comedy action film television maybe some not so current events find us on itunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com
cool thing about blind knowledge is we are in multiple countries. We are worldwide all across the globe. We are in the US, we are in the UK, we are in Canada, Germany, India, Japan. We're in Australia, y'all. Blindknowledge.com. Now back to the feature presentation. Especially compared to the other ones where you're just like, hmm, unless you want to see everything the actors are in, it's tough to recommend. So then that brings us to Proof of Life. And I take it you've seen this one as well. I have seen this one. It was another one that was like, you've seen the story before and yet, you know, it was an earlier screenwriting credit for Tony Gilroy of Born Identity and Rogue One fame. And, you know, it was, you know, such a typical Rolls writer, Meg Ryan or Russell Crowe. He's like a military specialist who deals with, you know, uh, rescuing hostages and they go to a fictional South American country and all I was missing is why is this not set in Val Verde? <laughs> it's a total commando movie. Um, it seems like it's generally well liked. Um, it's just the action is very spread out. So you got to really be a drama guy if you're going to watch this. About should point out that if you see the trailer, folks, that makes it look like it's almost a full-on action movie, but it's really not. Right? Because that's what tricks certain people, and that's why mm -hmm. they didn't do as well. Probably. Probably. So, he got some, I just find it funny, some of the various quotes that are talking about how his ego is dialed back, and he plays, again, one of Crow's mercenary buddies who helps him out and he pretty much just he's restricted to just again shouting commands and again making wise ass remarks when he's going to the safe house with them and loading the shotgun <laughs> i think they raid an arms guy to steal his weapons and use for their expedition so that's fun but yeah. i think yeah. about that because i think he vanishes afterwards yeah he pretty much is just helping set off the explosives with the other guys. It's, it's Russell Crowe's vehicle. I just find it interesting they worked with Russell Crowe, another colorful figure. So it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. They probably got along and told stories. So, so then he follows it up with, again, uh, Brad Anderson's uh, psychological horror mystery film, Session 9. And he's in here with another CSI guy, Paul Gwiffle. And I got to say, um, uh, this movie does really good at just really just being more and more twisted. And oh, yeah. It's one that I call very unpredictable. It's one that is filled with a good amount of tension. And it has a certain twist that, at least for me, I didn't see coming at the time. Yeah, and the sound effects and everything are just so creepy. It's like, man, that <laughs> sealed the deal. I finally saw it a while back on one of those, you know, multi-DVD packs. And I got to say, the that soundtrack is pretty moody. Yeah. And you definitely listen to it on Halloween. 
seen some people complain about his character. I think this does an interesting take, you know, instead of just people coming into a haunted house that they purchase or everything, it's dealing with uh, just uh, basically uh, summing up, uh, you know, the construction people who have to, you know, uh, rebuild houses that are crappy and uh, overall, I mean, it's just interesting too how they just don't, none of them trust each other and critics have compared it to The Shining. I I think it's made just so many top 10 lists for 2001 because, and rightfully so because basically, uh, you know, you're, even though it's inspired by some true crime cases, it, it goes so much more to that where as opposed to, you know, Oh, this was inspired by OJ. Oh, this is inspired by, you know, Ted Bundy. Yeah. This is more, you know, you're just like, I really want to know what makes them all tick. I want to know why they don't trust each other. Is there some backstory I need that's going to be exposed later on? And like you say, it's, it, it just keeps the tone of the creepiness just so effective from then on. And, and I mean, it made 2000 free edition of the year's best in fantasy and horror. So that's pretty cool. But yeah. I haven't, I haven't ever bought those books, but I will definitely check some of them out because I like that. Uh, but yeah, no. So then he follows it up with a bunch more, just, you know, made for TV director video movies that definitely got played up blockbuster. Um, his final movie was the independent action crime film uh, Black Point, and he's in this with your your boy Thomas Ian Griffith <laughs> hmm. from Excessive Force. Another guy who was supposed to be big shit, and like Jeff Speakman, just faded into the world of B movies. Has Susan Haskell, who was briefly on JAG, and yeah, uh, I. I dig this one quite a lot. It's it doesn't pretend to be anything else. And even though it's got a bunch of other actors who are typically in bigger stuff, it's just another decent, uh, uh, you know, it's like, I think it's filmed in parts of like Vancouver and LA and apparently it did show at an LA festival. And so there you go. It's, this is this, the beginning where indie action films are, released at a festival and then don't get picked up. I always saw it at the Blockbuster shelves, and I think it helped that it was coming out around the same time his CSI Miami deal was a big thing. And, you know, it's the same thing. <laughs> it's like he, he's got shades on looking cool, so it's like everyone wants to check it out. But, yeah, no, it's, it's a very competent movie, just with, once again, just you don't know what to expect and it helps that it's just, you know, pro Mark made was much like PM. They made a bunch of movies that were just very moody and, you know, pretty quick to the point and could easily be played on something like spike TV, USA or TNT to decent fanfare. And so, yeah, when he assumes the role of Horatio Kane, it's interesting how then from that point on he introduced New York and I know Gary Sinise said in interviews that he was so impressed by Caruso and I think that makes sense they're from a similar walk of life 
And I think you said you also saw the movie Deadlocked. I can't believe I flipped over that. That was a TV movie. Or how about that one? I didn't see it. Okay. So basically, it was much like the negotiator, except it's diehard in a courtroom. And he's still basically in NYPD blue mode without necessarily playing the exact same type. He's more reserved as opposed to a hot, hot head. But hmm. it's another movie that ends kind of a typical way, and yet it, ca- it catches your attention the entire time. And for a while, you couldn't find it for a while. It just was only on VHS. And then I think finally Warner Archive saw enough demand for it that they released it as a on-demand, you know, consumer product. So. I was okay with him doing the whole CSI thing for 10 years, basically, because essentially that's all he kind of had to offer, I think, as an actor. He just wanted to just, and there's some silly episodes that get schlocky and, you know, ego-headed to where it's just like, yeah, that's such overacting. And there's other ones which is like, no, I can take it at face value. It is what it is. And I think it helps that by this point we were used to the whole CSI thing. Everyone knew it was total bullshit with how they solve crimes. And yeah, there's like, yeah, but it's just escapism. It's really all it is. It's filmed like a music video. It's got a comic book logic. Although I do got to give them just applause for just wanting to uh, just get into various cartels and other people who want him dead and him trying to avenge his dead fiance. I never had an issue with any of the other people who were the supporting cast. And I think it just made sense that they were all kind of echoing that whole, Hey, you know, you're the boss. We work with you. And I think that it helped that they had been kind of from a similar walk of life. They were just in all kinds of movies and TV shows of different tones so it's like yeah here we are we, we, we've been in everything soap operas and tv movies and bit parts and blockbusters we're all in the jerry bruckheimer house now so and it worked out and i mean if i was in a top you know rated program i probably wouldn't care if i was mocked on david letterman or the simpsons either so no i would embrace that to be fair it's interesting though he said he was impressed by jim carrey making fun of him so i think he can laugh it's just he chooses to if you're on set you better not fuck with him he's like let's get something done <laughs> you probably like well i can understand that part he's like wow oh, lighten up man come on lighten up well uh, where do you think he ranks in TV stars? <laughs> well, he wouldn't be in the top tier, I would say. He'd be more like in the middle, I'll put him. He's not an actor I seek out, but whenever I yeah. see a rerun of either of those two hit shows, that's fine. And he's been in some TV movies that I've just generally wanted to check out for a while. And when I do, if he shows up, it's like, okay, that makes sense, and that's acceptable. But, I mean, we even skipped over Michael Hayes, which was a short-lived CBS show, and it's like, but I've never been able to find any clips of it or even an episode because it's just... Often, if I find any clip of it, it's like in Swedish or German, and I'm like, okay, well, 
looks cool for what it is, but I need it in English. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he pretty much, because he's been so reserved, it kind of works against some of his appeal, and yet there's nothing offensive really about his performances unless you just are one of those types who, if you hate the person as a real person, then that just sinks into their performances. Um, Which tends to happen to certain actors. Yeah. So. Although I think what separates him from all the Gwyneth Paltrow's and Tom Cruise's of the world is he's kind of just, he's just doing his job basically instead of trying to worry about whether or not he, he appeals to the audience. I think in a way I would like to think he, I mean, he kind of just silently retired and I th knew my grandmother who watched all kinds of TV and just heard about various TV stars said that she had seen an article that he got married to like some Mexican girlfriend of his like in Dallas, Texas somewhere. And I, then I had another <laughs> uncle report that to me. I'm like, man, so he must just, again, he, he doesn't necessarily do all the giant TV appearances, but he's, gotten those brief you know tv guide type excerpts so someone got some idea of them i know other people who had guest starred with them had funny different accounts like rob zombie directed an episode with malcolm mcdowell and he described it as basically caruso was just angry the whole time because malcolm mcdowell was trolling him for an easy laugh and he's like stick to the script you know hang up the phone <laughs> <laughs> I know Andrew Devoff, yep, friend of our show, friend of our pal Erica here, um, uh, was on one episode. He was like a recurring role for like four or six episodes as like underground pit fighter boss. And mm -hmm. it was interesting how he flubbed his line and, it, you know, he just needed a line. And Caruso actually at that time, he claimed, um, you know, uh, Devoff was already impressed because this was TV and he's like, man, those guys work fast setting up all the lighting and everything. And uh, Caruso actually kind of smirked and told him what the line was and said, let's do it again. So I was like, I think he works great with actors and that's just it. And if directors are fucking around or wasting their time, that's when he just you know becomes a crybaby. So. Like I said, you can understand sometimes if you know they are just... <laughs> Ego driven and not really care much about the product, but, you know. Maybe it's a New York thing, I guess. It's it like, is. I yeah. couldn't find anything. It's interesting how he was born to a librarian and a magazine newspaper editor. So both Irish and Italian descent. So that kind of makes sense. He kind of plays different variations and accents. So I, I've never heard anything about him as a person, like growing up or anything. I guess. I don't really know his religion or anything. Uh, maybe it's Catholic. Oh, okay, no, he went to a Catholic school. Okay, so, <laughs> but, oh, well. so I guess that's just it. He was just very reserved. He wanted everyone to have fun and I guess mind their own business. I always knew, I knew he had a few kids with Rachel Dakotan, who we loved from, you know, movies like Falling Down, Con Air, and Total Recall. It was like, yeah, I, uh, for a while it seemed like they were, they were just boyfriend and girlfriend, but um, it, it's interesting how I guess that's just it. He just hung around the actors and 
that's pretty much all he wanted to hang out with. <laughs> he wasn't interested in being a Charlie Sheen type who is, you know, dating all the escorts and playboys. <laughs> that's true. I never heard anything about that from him. Yeah. I've never. It seems like uh, after a while, it seems like even on CSI, that was his ability to kind of, I guess, speak some kind of political viewpoints where he's like, he wants, he kind of basically that whole time is just being a dad, keeping his estranged son out of trouble and trying to kick the shit out of very violent gangbangers and robbers and wanting to do something about people and minorities who are ignored. So it's just kind of a funny, kind of just over the top, you know, what you would probably expect from a crappy Stallone movie or other heavy-handed just 80s film, and he's just doing it in 2000s fashion, and no one's noticing because it's just a simple late-night TV show. <laughs> oh, he says his role models were Humphrey Bogart, James Cagney, and Herbert G. Robinson. He, he is quoted as saying, these guys taught me how to be what I consider the real scum of the earth. <laughs> okay. So, I think he just figured, hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm Irish, I'm Italian, and so I'm going to just play all these gangsters, and then I'm going to play all these authority figures, and I'm going to have fun, because I don't want to do anything else. That's all he can do. <laughs> yeah. That's all he has to offer. And so I think that's just it. It keeps him from being like a top 100 actor. And at the same time, he's just very acceptable. It just seems like, again, just that brief moment in the sun in 95, you know, that made so many careers, like Antonio Banderas and everybody. And for him, you know, it wasn't exactly Stallone where he was being the number one mocked movie star. But at the same time, he was also at the same time just some people were just saying i just don't like him he's just not leading man material and i think this is it i mean if anything i don't he definitely didn't break the whole you know big tv number one tv star becomes a number one movie star but he definitely just showed how certain actors just belong in a certain corner and i think it's even wilder how he's perfectly acceptable in some of the again lower budget movies and brief brief moments in the comedies and yet uh, you wonder if he just needed a little more mentoring or it'd be interesting to see what his acting teacher was or how he even got discovered in the first place that's what i was thinking too because just can't find really anything on him other than that, that he appeared in like a french music video and just had other just brief walk-on parts so <laughs> like we said, it's, he's one of the cases. Well, sometimes you don't have you don't always transition well to film, unlike somebody like George Clooney who managed to do that pretty well for himself. Right now. Yeah, I mean George Clooney kind of is pulling a Will Smith where he hasn't really done anything in a while, and yet he's still kind of hot shit. People are talking about him, and so it's like. Does he just want to waste the rest of his time just being an activist, or does he actually want to just return to being a director or an A-lister actor? So, I don't know. And it's definitely one of those where 
he went in waves and then he kind of just stayed in one particular behind one exact line. He just made a line in the sand. Yeah. Um, so I think that just wraps it up. If there's any other closing thoughts you want to add? I'm... <laughs> no, there's not much else you could say about him. Be fair, huh? <laughs> uh, I guess it's just a shame he didn't have any just killer one-liners. <laughs> I see some people sharing the scene from session nine where he's just saying, fuck you. <laughs> I've seen that make the rounds, but that's as close as he gets. <laughs> It would be interesting to see him have some one-liners, some of the shows or movies. That might help them, maybe. Could have been. He just was... It's like he's liked, but only to a certain extent. <laughs> on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up-